Thank you, Jane. <clears throat> Does anybody remember the 1999 uh, film by Mike Judge called Office Space? Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm not necessarily recommending that you go see it, but I'll just tell you about kind of some of the premise of the story. Uh, in Office Space, Mike Judge tells a modern-day parable that received the appreciation of a whole generation who was frustrated with their work behind cubicle walls. Peter Gibbons, the main character of the story, goes to work as a software engineer, mindlessly entering data for the better part of his day. He's unproductive. He's disgruntled. He looks forward to the coffee break and then to lunch and then to an afternoon space out. And finally, to the end of his day, he has no job security and no loyalty to his company. So in a sense, he begins asking the question, what good is my life and what is the point of my life? What will happen to me? So the plot kind of picks up steam and the comedy picks up steam as Peter undergoes a crisis. Through a series of events, he decides he will simply stop going to work for a while and just see what happens. He has arrived at the I don't really care anymore stage and begins acting impulsively. He sleeps in. He doesn't go to work. He doesn't return the calls from his boss or his co-workers. And so a little later on, at kind of the climax of this part of the story, he said that there's these consultants in town, and he finally decides to go in and sit down with the consultants. And there's this great scene of he comes in with a drill, and he's just unscrewing all the cubicles, and they're all just falling down and crashing around him. And instead of giving the canned responses that you would give when the big boss is in town, he just tells the truth. <laughs> and, and mysteriously, uh, he is rewarded instead of getting fired. And so it's kind of this movement from a crisis to a question to a shrewd response. Now, this parable that Jesus tells that Janie read for us is sometimes labeled in your Bibles as the parable of the shrewd manager. Uh, shrewd, right? Somebody sharp with wit. Or as I like to think in West Texas, probably the best translation for the word shrewd is savvy, right? We Savvy is always a positive thing. If somebody's telling you, like, that guy's savvy, then you know that's a good thing. That's never bad. If you're savvy, you're in. That's good. So I think of this as the parable of the savvy manager. But in the parable of the savvy manager, there's a crisis that prompts a question, and it leads to a response that gets a little praise for the savviness of the response. So we kind of talk through the parable. And it's, I mean, can't you see it? If you like economics and you like the wrestling with what is the place of wealth in the kingdom of God and how do we use our wealth how are we faithful stewards of our wealth to someone who kind of understands how this all works Luke's gospel is just home run derby because he analyzes all this stuff in a way that a lot of the other gospel writers or the other gospel writers don't um, but it, Luke is just kind of takes this project on at different points in the book in his story and so the lectionary has us going through Luke's gospel at this time of year and I can honestly say I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to throw in the towel on Tuesday. I was ready to throw in the towel on Friday. I was ready to throw in the towel last night. I was still, I'm still ready to throw in the towel. If anyone else wants to preach this morning, I will hand it over. <laughs> this parable just drives me crazy. It makes me go bonkers. So even late last night, Amberly and I, my wife and I are up discussing it. 
And I think probably as usual, if I'd listened to her sooner in the conversation, I would have had a few more insights as to what's going on. But we were flat out arguing by the time we got done. I was like, well, this isn't fun. I'm, we're going to bed. And, and it's like scripture kind of prompts this in us, right? When, if we really wrestle with scripture, it will, it will force us to ask these hard questions and to get grumpy about it and try to figure out some resolution and what in us needs to change or be amended to understand the gospel in this sense. And so this story of a guy, you know, who's, his back's against the wall. He's about to get fired or he's already been fired. And he's, he's, you know, it was common in those days, one of the ways to get security, if you weren't a major landowner or something like that, one of the ways to get security was literally to sell yourself to a wealthy landowner and say, I will sell myself, I'll be your manager until I die. And that's how you got security for yourself and your family. And so he's been messing around, not taking care of business. He's been um, wasting his master's possessions. It's the same word when the prodigal son in the chapter before has squandered his inheritance, uh, the father's inheritance, it's the same word. He squandered the wealth of his master. So things are not going well. He's not been good. And uh, he's, he knows he's fired. And he says, gosh, what am I going to do? Because once he's out on the street, he's the, I mean, he's just going to be a beggar. He's at that level in society. There was no just on-ramp back into the similar job. He was out. He said, I'm, I'm not strong enough to do manual labor. I'm too ashamed to beg. What in the world am I going to do? I have to have some place to live. I have to have a roof over my head. I have to have food on the table. And so he's, I know what I'll do. I'll go while I still have authority. And these guys had an in, incredible authority with what they could do with the resources. So I'm going to go to the people that owe my master money and I'm going to get something out of the deal. I'm going to make some friends while I still can with the resources I have. So right, he goes to the one guy, hey, what do you owe my master? And he tells him, hey, cool, cut it in half and just pay me what you got. Right. It's, it's unbelievable. It's very savvy. It's very savvy. It's dishonest, but it's very savvy in how he gets where he's going. And so he ends up, the master actually commends him for his savviness. And Jesus comments that the sons of this world or this age are more savvy or shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light or the sons of uh, the age to come. So I tell you, in verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And then goes on about the bit about being faithful. So there's a lot of different speculation, a lot of different directions we can go. There's a lot of analogies you can draw and things we can do, and we may do that next time we visit this passage. But at the end of the day, I think this parable is a parable about living in a world and understanding how the world works. We live in one world, Jesus says, this age, the children of this age, and we are preparing ourselves to live not just when we die, but in the kingdom of God and in the church, we're preparing ourselves to live in a world that is to come, the age that's coming, right? Jesus is talking about this kingdom of God that is at hand. It's all around us, and we look, and we see it over there, and we see it over there. And But, but meanwhile, we live in a world that we know. We know how the world works. We know how to be savvy in this world, how to keep our heads above water in this world. So this is a parable about looking at the way the world works and how we respond to that, the children of this age. Uh, meanwhile, we're learning to be children of a new age. Uh, we could use a little wit, a little savvy as we, as we do that. Uh, I think in that sense, it's just, you know, anybody that 
that understands how the world works and they do something like this, something shrewd, something savvy. It would be like if we just created a parable and we said, well, one day, you know, there once was a, a manager of a brothel and the manager of the brothel decided uh, that it was really important to him that all the teachers in town had coffee before they went to work. So he provided free coffee for all the teachers. And he also was important for him that uh, kids who were born in a certain zip code went to college. So he provided full scholarships for all the kids who were born in that zip code. That's the brothel manager. So the guy, the brothel manager is commended for his generosity and his savviness. Of course, he's not commended for being a brothel manager. That's, that's kind of what's going on in this parable. The guy's not commended for doing what he did. He's commended for the angle that he takes because living in this world, being savvy, being shrewd, being in business, you have to see the angles. And Jesus is saying there are angles that advance the kingdom of God. There are things that we can see. There are ways that we can live. There are things that we can give that will advance the kingdom of God, that will place us, locate us in the kingdom of God. And we approach the kingdom of God with a sort of generous abandon. Be street smart but direct your efforts to this new age, this new world. And so what's the deal about friends? You know, he talks about, okay, make, make friends for yourself. In that day and age, you know, friendship and your kind of economic standing, your, the way that you did business were inseparable. And there were kind of three levels of friends. And really, it's not that much different than how we do things today. I mean, there are friendships that we establish to do business. It's one of those things where like, you kind of want to be friends with your HVAC guy if you live in Sweetwater, right? You don't want him being mad at you. Like, you don't want to just twist off and scream at him. Because when you when you got, you know, when it's hot and your AC's out, like you, it's good to have a friend in the AC business, right? We still think that way. We still operate that way. But what would happen is, like, you have, you have friendships that would be greater friendships. So that would be, like, me coming in and, and kind of being a uh, – it's a patronage thing where I'm, like, I'm, a, I'm lesser than this person, but I'm making friends with them so that I can have a connection, again, my, my AC guy. And then over here, there's a lesser friendship where there's a, where I'm the, I'm the greater party, but I'm making friends with somebody that can owe me something. But then in the middle, of course, there's always been a goal of, of real friendship, genuine friendship uh, of, of equality. So it's like we kind of have, we're, we're in the same boat, we're looking at the same stuff, and we're, we're equal friends. So again, it's not the same kind of friends as just like, oh, my best friend, you know, that stood with me in my wedding. This is a, this is very, economic understanding of friendship. And so making friends, using what we've got, uh, and, and, and taking our resources that we have to move things forward. So that kind of a, of an analysis of friendship is what's, is what's there. And then the reading this week ends with this just kind of rundown of this list of things. If you're faithful in the little things, then you can be trusted with the bigger things. If you're not faithful in the little things, well, how can you be trusted with these things? And it follows the same parallel as the parable. If you can't be trusted to be savvy with the things of the world, then how are you going to be savvy with the things of the kingdom? So it's just inviting us to consider what we do with our everyday resources. Uh, are we going to be faithful with the things that belong to somebody else that we are stewards of? And if not, then how can we expect it to be trusted with things that would be our own? Uh, it's more language that reminds us that in the kingdom of God, we are never possessors. Right? We never really possess anything. We never just own something. We're always holding things that are in trust. We are stewards. 
all, all that we have belongs to someone else. And we are temporary stewards of everything that we have. In this way, it's kind of the same logic. It reminds me of, of a phrase in the gospel, in, in, not in the gospel of John, excuse me, in 1 John, where, uh, and I've all, this part's always driven me crazy. I still haven't figured it out, but I'm going to put it out there for you to wrestle with, uh, with me, uh, because that's what I do when I can't figure something out. I just ask y'all for help. Uh, so it's usually, usually works out. But, uh, John says, okay, you say that you love God, but you're, you're not loving your brother. So that's not, that's not working. Right? That, you, you can't say, I, I love God and then hate your brother. Like that, that makes you a liar. And so he says, how, you know, if you can't love your brother who you can see with your eyes, then how can you love God that you can't see? And I've always thought, well, gosh, that seems backwards because it's easier to love God because, I mean, I can't see God. God doesn't know everything about me. He can't in the moment argue with me. I can, it's easy for me to love God in that sense. But I think what John's trying to point out is, well, Maybe, Strebeck, maybe you really don't. Maybe there's parts of you that don't yet love God because of the way that you're treating those around you. And if you really did love God, it would reflect, it would be reflected in your relationships and your friendships and the way that you conduct them. It's a stewardship deal. Sometimes to really love God, at the next, to take the next step in loving God, it's, it's step in step with learning to love someone else who's around us, loving our children, loving our people that we work with, uh, sort of gaining strength. It's like working out or getting fit where we're moving towards this perfect love for which God created us, and we're in process of learning that. I feel like in in the mix of that, uh, I very often am, am prone to either overvaluing my position or undervaluing my position. You know, there are probably things that I'm looking at going, you know, I, I, I do that pretty well. I'm, I'm hanging in there. And then there are other things where I think, you know, I just – I'm just terrible at that. I'm just horrible at that. I just I just don't have X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I think we're really good at looking at others and thinking and, and spending a lot of time thinking what decisions we would make if we were in someone else's shoes. <laughs> have you ever done that? Man, I'll tell you what, if I was principal of that school, I'll tell you what, if I was president, by golly, if I was the pastor of that church, I know what I would do. If I was the president of that university or if I was that kid's teacher, I know what I Right? We do that all the time. And in doing so, we were thinking like, man, I would, I could hit that thing out of the park if it was me. But we hold in our hands so many beautiful gifts. I look around this room and I see your networks of relationships. I see your skills, the things that you've learned that's taken you a lifetime to learn, the hard-won fights that you've been through, the resources that you have because of your faithfulness, because of the things you've done. And I think we have great capacity. And great potential. And if you're like me sometimes, I miss out on some of those things that I could act shrewdly on, those areas I could be savvy, because I'm still thinking, man, I just, I I don't know what I'll do with this, but if I had that, then I could really, then I could really be the pastor that God's calling me to be. Then I could really be the person of community. Then I could really be the dad that God's calling me to be. And meanwhile, I, I hold these gifts, and so much of it has to do with the people that are around us, the relationships that we have. Faithful with the little things. It goes, it goes back to like being a kid and learning how to sweep out the barn or something like that. You're just going, seriously? I came out here to do real work. You're going to make me sweep the barn? And I can still see my dad being like, there is, there is a right way and a wrong way to sweep the floors. 
Uh, my dad maintained a coin-operated laundry with his, his family. And so that guy can sweep and mop like unlike anybody else. And his standards are very high. So I, I became a professional barn sweeper. Um, but it was like I had to do that before I could be <laughs> anything else. Faithful in the little things. And again, as I look around, uh, so many people that I know have taken jobs that they don't take for the money. Uh, to serve families, uh, to attain the kingdom goals, the things that are uh, uh, for the age to come. I know people who have taken higher paying jobs for a short term to attain the same kind of kingdom goals. But it's like, I mean, we know that no one goes into teaching because they're like, man, I'm just going to get rich. I'm going to go into teaching. There's a, there's a calling. There's a leveraging of the resources and the network, a savviness of being. Savviness is probably not a word but a, a shrewdness about how we enter the world in the marketplace to serve and to love. There are older men and women around us giving their time and their lives to nurture the faith of those younger than them. I think of my uh, one of my biological brothers who just has a knack for taking care of people who are struggling. And sometimes he does it with resources that he doesn't even seem to have, but he just sees the angles and he just does it. I've always admired him for that. As we close today, I'm reminded that Jesus Christ has been savvy and shrewd in his winning of our salvation. Christ was savvy in our redemption and going to the cross, laying down his life for us to have life. We're reminded that God will receive us into the eternal homes. He's not asking us to be mavericks or find our own way. He's calling us just to follow him to the cross where friendship with him is secured eternally. So whether the crisis that we face, the opportunities before us are major life decisions this week or some that come in subtle forms that are hardly noticeable, let us ask the question together that the savvy manager asks, what shall I do now? Asking this question in the midst of a crisis leads almost seamlessly into prayer. And when this happens, we have hope most assuredly, because even our turning towards God is not done alone. Remember that the Father draws us, that he is out searching for us and working in the world, showing the fruit of being faithful in the little things. The good news is preached to all creation. The last shall be first. The captives are set free. The blind recover their sight. The year of the Lord's favor is proclaimed. Children around the world have enough to eat, enough water to drink. Folks in our communities grow old with dignity, not only receiving care, but showing us, giving us the gift of a life that's well lived. And those contemplating suicide in the night, they watch the sunrise and they remember that they're loved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.